Rugby on News Talk, brought to you by the all-new Toyota Aorus. Yeah, it's, uh, this, it's a week out from the Six Nations. Slightly overshadowed build-up by the news that uh, Johnny Sexton is signing for Racing Metro. Our panel this afternoon, Eddie O'Sullivan, Reggie Corrigan and Keith Wood. Keith, I want to start with you about the, the uh, Sexton move. Um, I suppose it was a bit of a surprise that somebody finally took the money, but ultimately it's not really that surprising that somebody was always going to be the first person to do it. Yeah, I think so. And I, I don't know um, whether I'd even use your tone as in taking the money. Um you know, it's a it's a great opportunity, a great contract. I mean, we don't know all the details, and it's it's getting more shrouded in mystery by the day, with people kind of saying that he's not going to Racing Metro and that he's going somewhere else, and there's all this tie-in in France, and that you're not allowed to talk about new signings until um, the middle of April. But um, it is a phenomenal opportunity for a guy at pretty much the top of his game to to try it out somewhere else and try it into one of the most aggressive and attritional leagues in the world which is the Super 14 um, or the 14 and I think I mean he's obviously going to be very happy with it he's going to make a lot of money with it um, if he's smart enough and my presumption is that he is he'll have given himself enough room in his contract to do all the things that he would want to do with Ireland to keep that window fully open because you know in times past some players haven't done that and I think it's a it's a fantastic opportunity for him. I think it's a bit hard for Leinster because they have to um, they have to promote guys immediately, um, and there's nowhere nowhere around that for them. But you know, such is life. And I, sometimes I think it gets kind of caught up in all being this thing because it's the first. I think more guys will do it, but I don't think there'll be a flood. Um, and in many ways, it doesn't do our whole game a huge problem because we can't afford to have a situation where we'd go to pay that amount of money. We ju- we absolutely can't in Ireland. Reggie, what's your take on this? Um, did Leinster do enough? Well, I don't think there's a whole lot they could do, really. I mean, it, it is a central contract and the IRFU ultimately dictate what, what's going to happen on it. Um, they probably could have pushed hard and, you know, really given their argument but at the end of the day with the figures of money that's been thrown around the place um, they would have always been hard pressed to do that I'm not so sure that they couldn't have matched the offer a little bit better I mean I was I was talking before but you know we don't know the full details that's first of all but the figures of 750 that are being moved around the place um, it doesn't need to be as much as that from an IRFU point of view to match it because yeah. of the tax back situation because of the higher tax in France. A lot of people are under the impression as well that they go to France and it's tax-free. That's not the case. It's, it can be loaded but, uh, from the back, but, I mean, you still pay the tax in France and it's ultimately higher than it is here. So you put that into account and you also put into account the fact that, you know, they're at home and it's not that much of a change of environment. I believe they could have got away with maybe five fifty, six hundred to keep him here. Um, I know it sounds like a huge amount of money, but... He's there, he, like he—he's the marquee player. He's the face. He's the people that you know. He's the one people want to see. They want to have him at home. And I, you know, I mentioned before, what is the knock-on effect of this going to be from a Leinster point of view? They're going to scramble badly to try and replace him. And if it means that the product is diluted for Leinster, and that means there are going to be less people going to games, season tickets are going to reduce, and Leinster are going to need money and to be topped up by the IRFU. You know, it could it could be to the detriment of Leinster, and you know, ultimately cost them more anyway. Yeah, Eddie, from uh, from everybody's perspective, you can see from Johnny 
from Johnny's perspective, it makes a whole heap of sense. A big challenge at that stage of your life. You want to go and test yourself. He's already achieved huge amounts with Leinster. From Irish rugby's perspective, the IRFU, again, you know, you take this big earner off your wage bill, somebody gets promoted and gets more game time and actually in- increases your strength and depth. The big losers are Leinster in all this. Yeah, Leinster are the losers here, no question about it. Uh, there's no doubt that we will see Jonathan Sexton in an Irish short. I mean, but <clears throat> I take issue with your point that it's it's um, money off the wage bill for the RFU. I, to be fair to them, I don't think they see it that way. I think they have tried to push the boat out as far as they can. Now, Reggie's point is well made that there are tax issues as well. But I think if you just step back a minute and look at the market, there was <clears throat> the market's changing all the time. There was a time, if you go back four or five years ago, that the RFU were actually in front of the market. And we kept players here pretty comfortably. There was a lot of, you know, rumour, scaremongering about players leaving that never left. I think the market's skewed now. I think the super clubs in France have skewed the market. Uh, there's a salary cap in in, uh, in in Wales, and they're flooding out of Wales at the moment. Uh, there's a salary cap in England. They're finding it hard to keep guys. Uh, so the the moment the French are driving the market, and it's the super clubs like Toulon, um, Racing Club, um, Toulouse have always had a lot of money. And it's, it's no... They're the numbers that are on the table, and there's not much you can do about it. Now, the RFU's response to that could be, we, which had been in the past, we keep our guys here at all at all accounts. But I think they're looking at the bigger picture and saying, there's another couple of contracts now next year coming down the pike. And if they go to that next level with Jonathan, they're they going to be go dragged. They'll have to as well. Exactly, they'll have to follow through. And it's the problem with the RFU is that there is only um, a certain amount of money in the pot. And if we load it to, towards a certain number of players, it's going to affect trickle-down economics. They won't be there for other people. There is the risk then, as Reggie points out, I agree, Reggie, that you dilute the product. Mm. You know that It's a balancing act. But at the moment, let's be honest, Like if we were to, as a country, say, look, we don't care, whatever the market is in France, we're going to match it. I think it's a, it's a flawed policy because... I don't think we can afford to match it in the long run. But, but Eddie, I, I agree with you if it was every player, but the, I think the point is that Johnny Sexton is a bit of an exception to the rule, as was O'Driscoll when this talk was there. Like, Drico's contract was far in excess of what anybody else was getting in Ireland when he was at his peak. And that was all done, you know, quietly, discreetly, and dealt with. Everybody knew he was getting more than what the average players were getting, but it wasn't a public figure. And they no, could have done the same with thing with Sexton. They could have come up, sat down put a figure together that he's happy with and then, you know, there wouldn't be all this Ferrari and the other players will be happy to sign their contracts in the future, you know, the ones that are coming up and, and not be expecting three well, quarters I th- of a million. I, I think, I don't agree with, totally with that, Reggie, in the best. I think the next guy's coming through, mm. uh, like a Rob Carney could make the same case as Jonathan Sexton. Like Rob Carney is regarded as one of the best fullbacks in the world. Mm. So you, you end up with a stack of marquee players who have now pushed the market here up another notch again. No. You, you, you make the point in letting these guys evaporate out of the system we mm. dilute the product that's very true at some point here the RFU made a strategic decision they're willing to roll the dice on that okay. and I think that's where we are mm. now you know, we'll know in the future whether this is going to happen or not going to happen uh, and the future will tell whether it was a good strategic decision it's to risky. let Jonathan go or not yeah. yeah Keith you said you don't think it's going to open the floodgates like what, what's that the definition of that is it five of our top ranked players go is is that the floodgates if, say, Sean O'Brien goes, if Carney goes, if, say, maybe in two years' time Peter Mahoney goes, and then suddenly you're kind of thinking, well, one-third of our, our starting 15, does, would that count for you as floodgates, or 
does it need to be 15, 20 players going before we begin to start worrying about this? I don't, I don't even think we'll get to four or we'll get to five players of the top players going. I wouldn't be so certain. Um, if you remember all the way back to the start of professionalism, there was a huge flood because the IRFU originally didn't have a professional setup. They took 12 months to make their decision for, for things to happen. Um, an awful lot of guys left, myself included. And an awful lot, once the professional setup happened back in Ireland, an awful lot of them went back, you know, and there's there's a great chance and opportunity still in, in Ireland, still in the provinces, to get to play at incredibly high level, to to live an unbelievably good life in, in you know, in Munster, Leinster, uh, Ulster, Connacht, to, you know, to play for a team that you've grown up wanting to play for. Um, some guys will want a bigger challenge, but a lot of guys won't. And whether um, there'll be crazy money bandied about for a whole host of Irish players, I wouldn't be so certain. The one thing about that is we had um, Bernard Jackman on the show yesterday who's pointing out that there is a, another renegotiation of the rights deals going on at the moment, which will in turn further fuel wage inflation. So mid-ranking players will suddenly be looking at the salaries that the top-ranking players are getting here and if you're if you can be a, a mid-ranking player on 350 grand as opposed to a top-ranking player here on 250 grand, you might take that. You might you might roll that dice. Yeah. I also is, think I also think Eddie that we're we're almost at the point in France where yes, you do have the big sugar daddies coming in, putting in a huge amount of money, um, but that has to translate to France doing well. And if it isn't, there's already been a bit of a kickback with the amount of people that are coming in to play in France that are not French. Well, you're right there, Woody, because the, the French federation or French Union, as we call them, have started to try and reel in the overseas player model. I mean, I think there's up to eight overseas players. They're, they've set a target of back to two over the next five years. Whether they'll achieve it or not is another thing. These all, all these things take a long and winding road to get there. But the other thing to remember as well is that we've had a contraction in the market here in Ireland. I mean, um, in the last three or four years, the IRFU have rebalanced the market in cutting um, the, the basic contracts back a fair bit. And a few players as recently as even, I think, Gordon Darcy went through a difficult time, uh, Luke Fitzgerald getting a contract off the line because there was a bit of tugging and pulling. Um, and I think the market was contracting. But I think now... This has pushed the market out again. I think there, that's there was a little bit as well, though, Eddie. Of uh, you know, there was a little bit of arrogance in the IRFU's attitude to it as well. They kind of felt that nobody was ever going to pull the trigger and go. And you know, you're, you mentioned Gordon Darcy's contract, Luke Fitzgerald. They played hardball with players for a long, long yep, time. They did indeed. And this is good news for the players. I mean, ultimately, you know, <laughs> well, the, yeah, the ages. That's my be, point. Yeah, yeah, it pushes the boat back out again. Absolutely. You know? And uh, you know, I think for a long time the IRFU had it their own way. And now I think maybe there'll be a few players thinking, well, you know what, maybe I will go. I mean, Well, if you're young and you're confident, mm. you couldn't get back in time, in time to, to close your deal. While that's there with the tax break, it's certainly uh, enticing if you're a young player. Well, the only thing is, I suppose, if the money that you're getting per year in France is more than what you'll get back in a rebate anyway. You're, it's you're a simple arithmetic yeah, at the end of the day. Yeah. Out, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just to tell everybody, Lewis Suarez has equalised for Liverpool. It's one all, 20 minutes gone in the game between Oldham and Liverpool this afternoon. Let's move on to the, the actual Six Nations themselves. Keith, the, the pressure on uh, Declan Kidney heading into this game was quite intense anyway, given that his long-term contractual situation has yet to be resolved. Um, the decision to change captain, does it add pressure to an already in fairly intense situation? Um, I, I started thinking about this afterwards. I mean, I, got, I was pretty shocked when it happened first, if we're to be honest. Um, 
Uh, I just thought it was a bit of a bolt uh, out of the blue. It felt to be an unnecessary change, um, one I wouldn't have made, I have to say. Um, and I remember Eddie and I, and Eddie being on the other side there, Eddie and I having huge conversations about Brian O'Driscoll as my successor a long time ago, about 10 or, 10 or 11 years ago. And it was always to try and see how would you manage it properly. And this didn't seem to be... Uh, eased into it it suddenly seemed to be saying yes you've been injured for a while and now we're making a change totally because that's the change I think something had to change it just didn't know that it had to be that um, now it could have a beneficial one and I would always say you do have to trust the coach to have an idea of exactly where he is um, but it doesn't for me it just didn't seem right and I mean I was interested listening to, to Brian talking about it afterwards um, and you wouldn't expect him to be happy about it um, but it felt, it still felt as if it was sprung on him that this wasn't something that was new uh, of a conversation, and I think he probably deserves more. Eddie, the this, the conversation you had with Keith about changing the captain, uh, Keith came back for the World Cup in two thousand and three, mm-hmm. and was it was it ever any doubt that he was going to come back as captain? Well, the only doubt, and I, I know Woody's on, on the line here with us, that the only doubt was created by Woody because when he got injured in that period, and I decided that Brian was the guy I wanted to go to um, and there was a lot of criticism at the time about Brian being a captain people said he was too young and too inexperienced and he wasn't the right fit and I, it's great great pride to me that I, I stuck with it I didn't, I didn't back off that and he's pro- I was proven right but apart from that uh, he took the job on and he knew himself that it was he was kind of keeping the seat warm for Keith and that was never a question and in fairness to Woody, and I say this, and I don't want to embarrass him, when he came back, Woody came to me and said, look, Brian has done a great job. If you want to leave him there, I'm no problem with that. But Did you mean that, Keith, or was it like a secret? Here, listen, I'm, I'm giving you this offer, you better say no. Yeah, no, I, I did mean it, because, it um, and there's a, a big thing I had for my whole career, is you're either captain or you're not. You shouldn't be vying to be captain. You know, and there tends to be there tends to only be one guy, maybe two guys there, but they shouldn't be in conflict. Um, and Brian was the future. You know, I was more than likely going to retire, not for certain, but more than likely going to retire after the World Cup. And he was the future. And there was nothing that I wanted to do to try and uh, you know impinge on what was going to be My the future. My concern, though, there, Rudy, rugby. is when you when you came to me and said, "Look, things are going well." if you're happy to leave Brian there and he's out of state, I don't want to step in. And my point was, no, you're going to be captain again. And part of that, and more than part of it, is I know myself talking to Brian, that Brian would have been uncomfortable as captain on the field, but would he there? Also, from our point of view as the players that were on that squad you know it would have felt strange if Woody had to come back into that World Cup setup and not been the captain you know? exactly it was kind of a feeling within the squad at the time that, that Brian was there doing the role until Woody came back now you guys were having private conversations about it obviously but the squad itself was happy with that decision as well and we were happy to see Woody come back and I can tell you that that particular World Cup was one of the most uh, memorable campaigns I've ever been involved in and I really enjoyed every single moment of that thing and you know granted didn't go great against France but every other part of it was brilliant. And it was a pressure World Cup in the sense was. the Argentina game the Argentina was incredible pressure. A nightmare but that's that's the point I'm making is it was comfortable and enjoyable and I, I now see the situation with this Six Nations and I'm asking the question how comfortable is it in camp? There's a lot of uh, talk coming out that it is comfortable and everybody's happy and everything else but I'm just wondering why would you create a situation that could cause 
disruption within the camp or doubts or worries before a big campaign like this? I think that the other thing is it seems to me is that and Woody referred to it as that it was it delivered to Brian as a decision already made. Mm. I mean, um, I remember Woody, we had the conversation about when you were going to call time, you know, and at the end of it, you knew that I was happy you would carry the mantle until you stepped down. And it was all it was all worked out that the night in, in in Melbourne, you know, after that game against France, you decided you were retiring. I knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. Uh, I'd say most other people did as well. But it, was, it wasn't so much choreographed, but there was a plan. And I just get a feeling maybe Brian was a bit blindsided by this decision by Declan. Um, it seems to me that he was. it wasn't really a discussion more than a decision handed to him. Now, I would agree with Woody. Um, you know, I think, yeah, Declan is right to be looking at the World Cup and saying, you know, who's going to lead us into the next World Cup? That's his job as a coach. And he ultimately has to make the decision. But the timing of it, I would say... If this decision was made in six months' time in November, I think it would sit a lot easier with a lot of people. Um, I think the sad part about it is that uh, Brian's last game as Irish captain was unfortunately that 60-0 drubbing in uh, in New Zealand last summer, which I think he deserves better than that. You know what happens if um, if he's gets injured? I presume is it automatically Brian O'Driscoll is the captain if he's Who on knows? the field, or <laughs> is it now like completely off the table that he's ever captain again? We don't know. Is no. the honest answer. We don't know that. Uh, Declan has said that it doesn't mean Brian won't captain the side again. The question is, would Brian want to take the captain's mantle on again after stepping, you know, back from it? it it's a kind of, it's a slightly uncomfortable situation for everybody. As well, that was says. the most confusing statement of all for me was that you know Brian might captain the team again. If he's saying on one hand, I'm building towards the 2015 World Cup and this is my you know methodology behind it and everything else, why would he? Why, what's the need to throw in that line about the captaincy thing? Because that just doesn't make sense, you know. Yeah. Keith, um, I just want to, just want to go back to the point that Reggie was making about the the happy camp. Um, there was a sense that what happened in November, it, it ended so brilliantly with that amazing performance against Argentina, and that somehow this was a, a new group of players, and that they now had to assert themselves as the ones who were in charge. And I can I can see some merit in that. You know, I can understand the logic in that, and, and perhaps the decision to that's the 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 kicker when it comes to well do I go with my tried and tested captain or do I try and capture the spirit of November well you can get we can get slightly bogged down in almost too much negativity in terms of all this when you have the conversation but I would say I didn't think the game against Argentina was that magnificent game that seems to have taken on almost mythical status I thought Argentina didn't turn up on the day I thought we played well and scored well um, but I thought we'd been we were you know abject two weeks beforehand and um, so I don't think it was this whole new broom and I think we all got overly excited by it and there was this huge sense of optimism that went on the back of that performance and now you know as a player that that optimism has to be realistic you know if you think that yes we were magnificent and they were great on the day and we, we were better than they were you can have that confidence but they weren't they were knackered, tired after the first championship. Um, they looked wrecked. They bar- they didn't push up in defence once in the whole game. And I don't really know that you could use that as being the marker. But I would go back and say, for, for, for Kidney's view, I think he knows that certain things need to change. Be it new players that are brought in, uh, new philosophies, what, whatever it is. Um, and I think he was looking to have a change as something to trigger um, 
an, an ultimate change in the team. They want to change the fortunes. They want to be contending, and they haven't since two thousand and nine. Yeah, they want to disrupt the pattern. Yeah, whatever, whatever way it is. Now, this is me trying to get into his head, which is a march towards madness, to be honest. But you know, <laughs> the, um, look, I know Texan an awful long time, you know, and I once did a BBC interview with him, and I prepped it up beforehand that I've known him for ten or twelve years, and I don't know an awful lot about him. And when I came out of the um, interview I said somehow I know less about him um, having spoken to him for half an hour but um, he will take a strange slant on it and I will hold out to him and we never we never really credit coaches for this some coaches are lucky and some aren't people almost don't want to be described as being lucky Declan Kidney has been lucky a lot of the time and that can't be just luck you know what I mean I'm not detracting away from him at all and he has done things over his career that haven't seemed to make an awful lot of sense and have paid a dividend at the end of it so much and all as I disagree with it um, there may be method to his madness Woody I was wondering just uh, is there any form of a get out of jail card in this captaincy thing and that you know by talking about the 2015 World Cup that if things don't go right in the Six Nations you can turn around and use the changes and the younger players and we're trying things out with a view to the you know the future and we weren't really focusing on this campaign is there any chance uh, absolutely not and right. you you have a guy sitting beside you in the studio who will say <laughs> that yes you have to keep you, you become slightly squint-eyed trying to keep your eye on the two things you need to do which is to win all the matches that you're playing in and to prepare for the future it's why it's a horrible job i can guarantee you there's you know when it comes to six nations there's no excuses yeah, you, you know win. yeah it's yeah. and it's to be fair it's it's a it's a terrible balancing act for an Irish coach. It's, you have basically the Six Nations, which are it's the showcase every year, and you've got to deliver. And then you go to the Southern Hemisphere in the summer, and if you tinker around there, they go crazy, as you know, mm-hmm. if you don't bring down a strong side. And when you come up there in the, in the autumn, and I remember probably my most difficult period, apart from after the World Cup, where, where I was in big trouble. Yeah. But in 2005, we hung on a bit in terms of I thought we'd have shot at a good championship in 2005 and we lost two matches. We lost a, a triple crown in Wales yeah, when yeah, yeah. Mike Ruddock's team won the Grand Slam. Yeah. And there was there was hell to pay after that. Oh, and no. then it was a Lions Tour year and that following autumn, we had a really bad autumn against New Zealand and Australia. And it was like there was ca- carnage. Mm. Even though that autumn we were starting to try to rebuild. What was the focus of the carnage? That, that you'd kept players on too long? No, we had a lot of changes actually. There was, a, there was a lot of new caps in that autumn, but the results were bad. Like New Zealand hammered a lard out of us. They beat everybody that mm. autumn, remember? They whacked they everybody. Yeah. They basically hammered Wales on a Saturday. They made 15 changes and beat, beat us out the gate in Lansdowne Road the mm. following Saturday. And then... We were in a game against Australia and we let it slip 20 minutes into the second half. Remember that game, yeah, Reggie? Yeah. And all hell broke loose. And it was the Six Nations when, when Shaggy scored in the corner and mm. Twickenham was kind of what we, the thing turned around for us. Mm. But that 2005 was a very, very difficult season. And when you get out the far side of it, you breathe a deep sigh of relief, I can guarantee you. Because you thought at that stage that there was a possibility that pressure was going to be so much the IRFU might have to act. Well, there was a couple of people in certain quarters calling from my head after the autumn. Yes. You know, and I, that Six Nations 06 was huge pressure. And it wasn't like winning that Triple Crown uh, in Twickenham, uh, in fairness to Shaggy, that Troy turned everything around for us at that moment in time. So, to be fair to Declan, it is a juggling act. And the Six Nations is definitely not the time to... To, to, to roll the dice taking that on board he must really believe that making Jamie Heaslip the captain is the right thing to do 
Well, he has to believe it. I mean, Woody would say, you know, he he must believe it in his in his heart of hearts this is the right step to take. Uh, otherwise, why would you roll the dice like that? And credit to him, it's a big step to take. So he must believe it. But um, you know, we, if if the Six Nations goes well, it's it's usually as we always say, don't results. If we've a good Six Nations and we come through this unscathed, it'll be a great decision. If the Six Nations goes south, then there'll be a fair bit of finger pointing about that decision. That, that comes down to that yeah I suppose Keith that was the original question in terms of the adding extra pressure to this you do get the sense that Declan Kidney's entire Ireland career rests in many respects on how well we play against Wales because if we start well play well against Wales you'd follow you'd be pretty confident that it will follow we'll have a good Six Nations but if we lose against Wales there's no real way back into this competition for us yeah, like I think the Six Nations is absolutely nerve wracking and always has been nerve wracking I mean I can remember palpably the tension that you'd feel in the weeks coming up to it to the pure pressure because this is a great nationalistic uh, tournament it is every year it is the focus of winter sport it takes on a far bigger than a series of 15 games it's a far bigger thing it's 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 done over you know a couple of months and sudden in a, in a fairly bleak time in the sporting calendar and it is just absolutely manically intense and because it isn't home and away and because there isn't a huge amount of of um give and take in it you lose a match um for some of the teams that's the end of the six nations almost and yet they can't afford to kind of um ease their way out to the end of it they can't really use it as a building block and sometimes i think they should but they they can't in a lot of cases because it has a huge effect and a huge de- you know, detrimental value on how you view your national team. It is something that has to be you know, kept sacrosanct and you have to do so incredibly well all the time. That pressure is extraordinary. I mean, so extraordinarily different than it is even to a Heineken Cup game or, or any of the other games that the guys play in, or even into the Autumn Internationals. It is the huge historical tournament. Um, so against Wales, the problem about the, the Welsh game for us is that they have so many injuries, people are kind of saying, well, look, Ireland should be able to go over there and win. That's an uncomfortable position for us to start. And we're playing against the 2012 champions. Um, and then we have England at home, who are resurgent. If you're to win those first two games, you have an opportunity to go for a grand slam. I don't know if Reggie would agree as well. You've been in Cardiff. It's mm. a hell of a difficult place to win. I, I think this game uh, next week is just... The Welsh have done a great job of talking up the injuries and and using that as nearly the backdrop to their whole campaign and and Howley being there and and Gatty not being there and blah, blah, blah. This is a nightmare for Ireland. It really is because they're going over there on a hiding to nothing. If they they win well, everyone will say, well, you know, the Welsh are all injured and everything else. And if they lose, the season's over. So it's such a pressure uh, situation that they find themselves in for this match. Um, and and all the build up to it hasn't helped. You know, there's been all this other distraction, distraction, and different things that's been going on on the back of it. But you're right, Eddie. You talked about 2005. I don't think I've ever experienced anything like that in my life. As that uh, the, uh, intense pressure that was on us. I mean, the streets were lined beforehand. The Welsh, it's their sport. You know, yeah. rugby. They're the champions. It doesn't matter what 15 take the pitch. They will be out for blood and they will smash everything that moves and they will make life a living hell. For Look at our Ireland. recent history in, in, in Cardiff. Mm. I remember in my my time, uh, 2003, Rogers dropped goal to get yeah. us out of jail. Yeah. 2005, they beat us. Yeah. Well. To, to 2007, again, we played well but scraped home after playing well. 
uh, and we had a blocked on. Uh, we got a great start again. Um, Rory Best blocked on a, a kick, mm. and then 2009 was the Grand Slam year. But you know, we don't talk about it too much. But if Stephen Jones had held yeah. his nerve, mm. <laughs> it might have mm. been a Grand Slam. Yeah. So that's how tight it is in Cardiff. No matter what state they're in now. In between, we've given them feral hidings in Dublin. Yeah. If you go through that period, Mike, Phil- Mike Phillips scored that ridiculous try with the illegal ball yeah. uh, two years ago, and then obviously last year they beat us and kind of killed our season as well. The incident as yeah. well, you know, there was, there was, you know, there's always a little bit of niggle in it, but there's never been much in it in terms of the scoreline, you know. Keith, do you expect us to win, and who do you like? The key selection decisions, I suppose, the back three people are wondering about. After that, you've got to suggest maybe most the rest of the team picks itself. It's kind of funny when we, we we keep saying you have to be, you have to make certain you win the game. I still would like some level of change in it. Um, and it's hard. I'd like to see a back three of Carney at 15, Zebo and Gilroy. Um, I just think there's something special, a bit of pace, a bit of spark. You almost want the intake of breath. And sometimes you don't need that. And sometimes you do need it. And I think at the moment they could do, do something special. I actually think we'll win. Um, I'm not thinking that we'll go over as a comfortable win or anything like that. But I do think if we can play engaging the forwards first which every now and then we stop doing which drives me mad if we can do that at the start um, get our forwards into the t- into the game uh, and have a cut and I think we've, we can manage to do that and I think I think we'll win that first game and I think it'll put us in a position of where we then have to almost reevaluate because it is one game at a time much and all as that's a ridiculously overused cliche yeah I think this is probably two major selection issues for Declan one is the right wing um, and one is the back row and I think I, I'd agree with Woody Kearney uh, and Zebo are, are locked in stone I think it's the right wing position I think it's a massive risk taking Gilroy I think he's been fabulous for as an attacking player I mean he's one of these wingers that everyone gets to their feet as he touches the ball he's got that capacity and Zebo's the same um, but you can't look past the fact that um, I don't think he's really been tested yet he has been able to force his way in uh, to the Ulster team ahead of uh, Andrew Trimble. Now, look at the other contestants, apart from Gilroy, for that 14 spot. You've got Trimble. If Draco plays it outside centre, as I assume he will, Keith Darrells comes into the frame, and Fergus McFadden has done nothing wrong. Mm. So there's four guys queued up for one position. I think if you look at the Welsh, the profile of the Welsh, they've, they've big, strong wingers, and yeah. they will go to them like they did in Dublin. They will bring them into the game. And... I don't know if Gilroy is that type of player. I think Trimble is a power runner. He's brave. Mm. He doesn't back down from Matt and he might be a better selection for this game where you want physicality, as Woody have referred to. So I think that selection is a big one for Declan. I think the rest of the backline picks itself. And then the back row, I think the the, the big decision for him is whether he goes with... Um, I think he'll go with O'Brien and he slip, but will he go with Henry or O'Mahony? I mean, Henry is the groundhog, great over the ball. But O'Mahony is playing out of his skin but we'll give him another line-out jumper against a Welsh line-out which is no second rows mm. so if we put four jumpers into our line we could go along with dismantling the Welsh line-out and that's a great starting point in Cardiff mm. if you can steal their line-out ball uh, Are you presuming Mike McCarthy and Donegal Ryan in second row or Donegal Callaghan and I think that's a discussion but I don't think it's going to change the world yeah. I mean I would probably expect him to go at McCarthy and, and Donegal Ryan and Dunnick off the bench I think but I don't that's going to be the, the key point I think the key point is whether he wants to if he puts Henry into the, into the for for, for uh, around the field he'll have one less jumper in the line out 
Wales at the moment have no locks from the World Cup left. They're drafting mm. guys in left, right, and mm. centre. That line is going to be shaky. So four Irish jumpers gives us good line-up ball ourselves, guaranteed line-up ball for us, and we can go after their line-up ball. And for a team like Wales, who thrive on running with the ball in front of the home crowd, getting the crowd behind them, it's much harder to play without it uh, for Wales. So if we can disrupt their line it's a great starting point for winning that game. Rezzy, your team? Well, I'm, I, I would have it as Ryan and McCarthy. That I'd start them. I think they're the form players, so you should be picking on form, and I definitely believe they would be the second row. In the back row, I've watched Henry a lot this year, and in the, you know, he's done well there. And I've been quite impressed with him. Um, I've been at a number of the Ulster games, and I just he has the edge for me at the moment. There's no question about he's been O'Brien, obviously, but I think I'd, I'd definitely go with uh, Henry there. And in the wing situation... Uh, I'm with you on the Gilroy thing I don't think he's been tested I was at the Argentina game and I watched him carefully and he danced his way around brilliantly and made huge inroads but there was nobody trying to tackle him you know and it's quite easy when that's happening uh, to make those kind of inroads when there's no one against him and and like you said he's not making the start in the Ulster team and there's a reason for that he's definitely I would love to see him on the bench I'd like to see him come on make an impact into the game but I probably wouldn't start him either I'd have to go back to the McFadden argument as well Um, you know I've yet to see him do anything bad in Irish I agree with you I think he's a smashing footballer and and he's he's very steady very solid and steady and defensively he's very solid as well which is another question about Gilroy that I haven't seen answered yet you know Trimble we know can defend um, and and make the physical tackles when they're needed but, uh, you know, again, does he have that blistering place? I just don't know. For me, I'd, I have to really dig deep on the McFadden, uh, on the wing one, and then obviously um, Carney and Zebo are the other two in my back three. Okay, so it's, it, they're all very similar. Like they, There is really no massive points of contention here. Keith, would it be a retrograde step for you if, if Gilroy's your guy to put Trimble in? Um, and it's not retrograde. You know, I think they'll all do a good job. And. I'm interested to say that um, uh, McFadden hasn't done anything wrong, and he hasn't, actually. Um, I think he's a really, really good, honest player, and every time he's asked to do anything in any position, he goes and does it. Um, uh, But I challenge Reggie on the fact it's easy when people aren't trying to tackle you. I actually thought he just changed the whole momentum of the Argentinian game. Um, and he was rushing onto the ball and he had three or four plays before he got that try he had got over the gain line and it was magic feet and the rest of the team and this is a guy on his debut and the rest of the team reacted to getting over to the gain line by a guy who made something happen I think that's an invaluable quantity yeah he injected life there's no question yeah. there's no question at all about and there's doubts of course there's doubts but yeah. I'm I'm happy to uh, always have that as an argument I think at times you have to give a guy a chance and mm. uh, he was given a chance and took it and I would have said he was the main catalyst in that game and yet okay he hasn't had a huge amount of starts for Ulster since but he somehow has managed to go down the pecking order even though his last game for Ireland well, I think Rudy I fire. think Declan will go with Gilroy to be honest yeah. and, and it I, won't be a bad thing if he does no but I, really I, my, I would sound like a warning that like he will be tested in Cardiff physically yeah. and he will be tested defensively you have George North charging at him exactly and you can McFadden you can was tested um, th- with George North and came off wanting everybody yeah. who would be tested with George North running at that sort of pace would be tested without a shadow but the point is Woody that you can write, you can take it to the bank that Wales will go after the, the outside channels um, like they did in Dublin you know um, last year they will do it again 
Here, I've got to take an ad break, but the lads are going to stay with us, and we've got a lot of questions coming in from our listeners. If you want some of your questions put to our rugby panel, we're talking about the Six Nations. 53106 is the text number, or you can get us on Twitter as well, at Jergilroy. News Talk Sport, Sunday, in association with UPC, the fibre power network that News Talk Sport, Sunday, in association with UPC, the fibre power network with 50 meg broadband as standard. It's coming up to half time, still one all between Oldham and Liverpool in the FA Cup, but we're talking rugby, we have Eddie O'Sullivan, Reggie Corrigan and Keith Wood, and we're talking about the Six Nations, we've uh, got the, the lads to give us their team so far, I'm going to put some of the listeners' questions to you, uh, I'm worried about the talk that Wales are there for the taking, they're defending Grand Slam champions, we constantly worry about England and France and have traditionally underestimated Wales, why is that? Keith, do we traditionally underestimate Wales or do they just traditionally beat us when we expect to beat them? Yeah, we get a little bit confused by Wales, to be honest. I will say that normally after they win a Grand Slam, they're awful the following year. Um, And yet they've won three of them in the last eight years, which is pretty impressive and it's the only stuff we could wish about. Um, It isn't about taking them for granted. And, you know, our conversations are not the conversations that would be taken by the team. Um, and it is very much along the line of your questioning earlier on. You take this one game and you say, how do you go about getting a little bit of momentum in the tournament? And how do you go about negating their strong points? And how you you go about scoring tries? Because you may need to, because they tend to. And, uh, you know, keeping the, the board ticking over and all those simple things that you do for every game. But you focus entirely on this game. And, I mean, if, if, if we're favourites for it, we need to be have that clarity a little bit better um, to the idea of, of how we actually go and play because that's when we take not take things for granted but it's very it's it's a very hard kind of view when you when you look at it in that way I I always was afraid of Wales because I think they have a capacity to play any style of rugby but mm-hmm. you want to try and beat them up from the very start and just make certain that you get just it doesn't matter a one point win is perfect traditionally Woody if you remember Reggie our game plan against Wales was extremely physical and direct. I mean, the, the one thing you can say about Wales is across the line, they're probably as skillful as any other team in the world mm-hmm. because they grow up playing rugby. It's their national sport. They're playing rugby as soon as they're knee-high to a grasshopper. So they all have the basic skills of the game and they're comfortable on the ball, they're comfortable running and at home in front of the home crowd, they get that extra surge. What you want to do is not let them play that type of game. And the best way to do that is just to go very physical and very direct. If you start playing over and back with Wales, they love it. And then the game gets loose and it breaks up. And they're better at that than you are. They're always going to be. So even if it means, as what he said, like keeping the scoreboard ticking over 3, 6, 9, 12, and at some point they, you beat them up physically so much and your scoreboard's ticking away that their heads drop and then you get them. But if you go out there and the game gets loose and it's like, you know, broken play, counter-attack stuff... It's a nightmare to play against them in Cardiff. And I, you know, it's one of the games that you never like playing away from home. France is always tough. Italy is tricky. But certainly Cardiff is always one of those games that you were never, ever comfortable going to, you know. And it's also one of the games, you mentioned the physicality, that you weren't right for three days afterwards because oh. it is so physical. I mean, they do hit you hard. They hit you uh, in places legally and illegally, and they're well able to do it. And, uh, you know, 
what what's meant by not being physical against them is that you're you're not sapping their energy so they can bring those skills in that you spoke of Eddie and you come off that game you'll know you've been in one we had Mike Ross on the show a little earlier on and um, he came in for kind of weird criticism it seemed to me after the November internationals and some of it seemed to be coming actually from the Irish management as well mm. Reggie like I don't know if his performance it's very hard for us on the outside to understand I, I was a bit surprised by all of the criticism he seemed to be getting as well to be fair you know he's he surprised me in the last couple of years how well he's uh, come on and progressed. When he first came into the Leinster setup, I wasn't overly, uh, you know, taken aback at how much of an impact he was having on games. I just thought he was, you know, just doing the very basics. But in the last couple of years, I think he progressed dramatically, and I thought he really, really played very well all the way through it. Yeah. And I was surprised at that criticism. I, I would agree with to you. To the point now where we would be completely screwed if he gets injured. We are in so much He's trouble. He's John Hayes, whether yeah. we like it or not. And ironically, John Hayes pinned the Irish crumb mm. for 10 years and got horrendous abuse mm. while he was doing it. And Mike Cross seems to have inherited that mantle yeah. now of pinning the Irish scrum yeah. and getting a favourite abuse to the process. Like so it. who would want to be a yeah, tight end? Made the right position. decision, Reggie. Hey, going to lose it. I always make those. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like him to regress and just scrummage and just lift in the line out. I just, we need him to be at his top and utmost as a tight end in the scrum. And I think he came in for criticism in the autumn because I think he was a bit off the mark in the autumn. And um, we need him to play well and because if evidenced by uh, last weekend or the weekend in the sports ground Friday in the sports ground um, our tight head that's come in Michael Bent isn't up to scratch um, not yet anyway um, hopefully he'll get a lot better and we have we have a hole in tight head in Ireland we've had that hole for 12 years uh, uh, on that Woody as well I, I know what you're saying about the autumn but there were also other changes if you think about the fact that we were losing some of the powerhouses and the second rows were changing and you know the scrum is a whole unit if you know what I mean and it takes a little bit of time for that thing to work together so the new second row combinations with new back row combinations working with the tight head and different hookers and I think all of that had a bit of a knock on effect and I just thought it was a bit unfair that Ross came in for all the criticism. For he always he always will. Tighthead yeah. always will. Yeah, and that's the unfair part. Yeah, and my only my only issue with it is we tended to creep up in the scrum. We started going a bit higher in the scrum. Just can't do that at tighthead. Mm. Uh, Kieran and Galway, the, the geographic location is important for this one. It, it seems to me Trimble was shocking versus the Saxons. Henshaw deserves a shot at least on the bench. Are we looking at it? It's a bit too early to be sticking Henshaw on the bench for the Six Nations, is it? Well, look... There's no doubt in my mind that uh, Henshaw will play for Ireland. This would be, be a huge failure on our system if he doesn't pull on a green short someday. Yeah, yeah. But it's early days yet. And comparing Henshaw to Trimble, they're two different players in two different positions. Uh, I think he will, but it's way, way too early for him. And, and I think it's great to see Declan putting him in at that level in front of the home crowd. It's the ideal time to give him a run there and see how he went. And I think he did very well. Um, Paul and Limerick says I'm hearing a lot about England players I don't rate being on the Lions team am I completely underestimating this England team I really don't think they're any good well you look at the players that they have uh, available their injury worries have all cleared up they did beat New Zealand regardless of the fact that New Zealand seemed to have had the norovirus um, in the build up to the game um, should, be worried, should we be worried about this England team maybe winning this championship Eddie well first thing I'll say about England is if England had lost to New Zealand they wouldn't be talking like they are now they're, they've like forgotten the fact that they lost to Australia and South Africa two weeks before um, so they tend to overreact a bit having said that there's really it's very hard to find a bad England team they always have a good side they're always very good at the basics they're always big and physical I think this Six Nations will be very telling for them I mean they could well 
win it but it'll probably be whether they beat France or not they're capable of beating everybody else they need to step it up to beat France yeah. but they're still a very beatable team I don't think they're as good as they make them as out at the moment well, they kind of always talk themselves up a bit anyway and it's funny you mentioned their last game I mean all of a sudden we beat Argentina and we're happy as Larry as well you know yeah. uh, there's similarities there but I think definitely with this English team I, I actually would I, I, you know, they're second favourites. I'm not so sure about that. I think they could be favourites for this competition. I know, um, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, I'm looking at the players week in, week out, and they're not as good as they're making themselves out to be. They seem to be on a little bit of a confidence roll. You listen to the likes of Farrell and these lads when they're talking. And that's so important in it, you know, in the whole um, psychology of the Six Nations, that confidence role coming into it. They'll feel confident about first game up against uh, Scotland, they'll, they'll get that one in the bag. Then they'll have us uh, in Dublin. They'll feel they can take that. And France in Twickenham, the French don't, they just don't tr- like Twickenham. Simple as that. Your referees tend to give funny decisions in those games. And, you know, they're, the, they're only the, the slip-ups. Uh, the, the slip-ups they could have would be maybe the last one against Wales as well. That's another big, big decider for them. But I think they're very capable of winning this championship and sort of have come from nowhere to be in that position. The, um, the, you mentioned the French and not really enjoying going to Twickenham too much. Obviously, the record isn't great over the last decade or so. But just looking at the players they have available in their backs... Para or Marchino, Michelac obviously still in the squad. Tranduk probably at fly half. Wesley Fofana, Maxi Marmot, Florian Fritz, Vincent Clerc, Bastereau. Uh The back row is probably going to be Wadra Dago, Dusatoire, and Piccamol. They're still pretty good. Yeah, but every year it's the same. Every year you list out another list of 15 players, 20 players. players This time they've got a better coach. I think the big thing with France is not Mm. so much the players, I think it's the coach. Mm. And the most telling thing for me in the autumn was when Sonnen, when they played it, it reflects I think on the top 14 top 14 rugby to me is not as a purist is not that great rugby mm. it is bare knuckle brawling every Saturday or Sunday and it's brutally physical and San Andre has recognised that and he said well this is the way we're going to play and if you saw how they played in the autumn they took Australia and they just took them to the woodshed and beat the lard out of them physically mm. and I think San Andre has got this team playing a very physical brand of rugby which is not good news for anybody else certainly not for Ireland but certainly I think if they go physical with England mm. it makes a big difference it's when England when England got on top and physically they always beat France and France could take it or leave it yeah. so I would say the only thing I'd say Reggie I think you're right England could sneak a championship here but I think France are the one team that could stop them yeah because like if you think back on the really great French teams it was the physicality up front that destroyed teams yeah. and then the class well everyone remembers the flair when the last 20 minutes yeah. when you were on your knees and they scored Absolutely. from everywhere yeah. it was the first hour where they basically knocked you senseless that, that caused the problems you know Keith who's going to win it for you uh, I've tipped France to win it as I do nearly at every one I've become very boring um, <laughs> in, in, in calling it I just think they always have the best squad they have the best capability um, I don't think they'll win it with the Grand Slam I think it'll be an awful lot tighter I think there'll be there'll be a couple of unusual results um, I have been impressed with, with England in the manner in which they've gone about stuff I think they've, Stuart Lancaster was um, extraordinarily lucky for the first two matches against Scotland and Italy last year Six Nations and they got a role and that's where the momentum came I, they could have both of those games could have gone very very easily and um, they could have had a whitewash the way they were going they had a bit of luck and the only difference between their autumn matches and they weren't great in some of them is that they beat the All Blacks the aura that sits around with that and whether they'd flu or 
virus or whatever it was, um, we've never done it. And they were able to do it. And there was something about England, whether it's an inherent confidence or arrogance that they seem to have. And this is a very young team that's growing up together. And I'm, I met Owen Farrell about two weeks ago in London. I was totally struck by um, his humility, actually. He was very different from, from, the, from that sort of the persona that is often kind of targeted with the, the English guys of being arrogant. He was just incredibly calm about the whole thing, that this was something that he wanted, but he wasn't getting ahead of himself. Where I got really impressed with him was he was very poor against Munster for Saracens in at Thoman Park, and he kicked very poorly. He looked totally out of sorts. But the manner in which he played the following week was entirely different. Mm. And the manner in which he's played since then has just been at a far higher level. Final question for everybody. How many wins for Ireland, Reggie? Um, probably about three. <laughs> yeah, I think three. And it could probably be our three away games, ironically. Um, if, we mm. win, if we win at any of our home games um, and, and uh, our away games, we're in with a show at the Championship. Is that, is that tight? Mm. Keith? Yeah, I, th- I might even sneak to four. That's very positive. I think everybody would bite the hand off for four wins in the uh, Six Nations now. Lads, thanks very much for spending the hour with us. Really looking forward to the Six Nations. My thanks to Keith Wood, to Reggie Corrigan and to Eddie O'Sullivan as well. Um, we're going to be checking in at halftime at Boundary Park in just a couple of minutes. There's a big, big shock on the cards there and we've much more coming up in the final hour of our show today as well, right after these. Join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag what matters to you. Use talk 106 to 108. It's not just news, you know.